Michael will join us uh, next week. Michael's actually in Israel right now, Garland. I'm very jealous. So uh, we're incredibly excited to just do a little bit of intro work for our study in John, and then we'll um, take a look at the first I am statement for a few minutes today. Um, Garland, as we consider John, we're going to be working through this together for the next 21 weeks as a church and uh, studying it a little bit different than from chapters 1 through 21. Um, kind of walk us through the breakdown of how we've got it set up as we do our study. Yeah, what what we're going to do, um, it, rather than kind of exposit it directly, we're gonna we're gonna look at se- uh, three different sections of seven, basically. So there's seven what we call the I am statements. There's actually uh, more than seven, but seven of the famous ones in the book. There's seven uh, recorded signs or miracles that Jesus does, and then we're gonna look at seven encounters that Jesus has in this particular book. So uh, it'll be a little bit different than what we normally do, which is just kind of walking through uh, a book or a letter straight beginning to end, um, but the, we're going to do a bit of a thematic look at the Gospel of John, and um, th- that's where sermon notes, I think, as a as an idea can come in and be helpful. So this is a yeah. tool for you as a community group leader or just in your own private devotion to get some of the broader connections in a book, in a study like this, where we're going to be kind of all over the book, this might be helpful to get some broader um, understanding of what's going on in John. And so, you know, be tuning into sermon notes because we'll try to connect bigger, you know, we're going to pick and choose sections. This will help Mm -hmm. you see context and what's going on as you lead your small groups and as you study it personally. So uh, yeah, share this with people if it's helpful and um, let's get after John. It's going to be fun. And uh, if you haven't purchased one, be sure and get your John study guide to help you in your devotional time have small group questions, kind of walk you through some basic inductive Bible study questions for each week that we study together. So that'll be super helpful. Um, Garland, want to hit some just high points in John, some that we may not hit, um, especially this week in our first teaching, but... um, but just some some points related to um, the dating of John, its authorship, and then uh, we'll hit some some of the themes that we see. And so um, unpack some of that for us. Well, this this is the stuff that I think really matters when you study any book or letter or whether ancient or modern, like who wrote it, who's he writing to or she, um, what's the context, what's the occasion, what's going on. And so that always helps to understand any work of art, any piece of literature is what's what's the comment it's making, what's its social context, what's its cultural context, what's the language, all those stuff, all that stuff's really important. And so um, this is the stuff that Bible nerds, um, which uh, I consider myself to be, you know, no, you're definitely I'm kind of a cool Bible nerd, I would say, wouldn't you, no. wouldn't you agree? Um, so Bible nerds, this is the stuff that... Uh, I think brings a lot of richness to studying a text. So when we look, we look at John's gospel, we got we're going to see that the first and foremost thing that we see is it's just different. So when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they have a similar flavor, those three gospels. We call them the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which literally just a, a Greek word that means see them together, seen together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're largely, uh, they largely sound the same. They have similar stories. Most scholars think that, uh, Mark went first and Matthew and Luke are using Mark in some ways. That's they, they sound familiar. Um, when you get to John, it's, it's 
wildly different. Yeah, um, I, I read where at least or over ninety percent of his content is different or new content. Yeah. Yep. Nowhere else to be found. So we, that needs an explanation. And so um, just as far as uh, dating issues, most uh, most conservative scholars, we might say, they're going to put the dating of the synoptic gospel, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, largely in the 60s and 70s, and, and many scholars put it all three before 70 AD. The, the key date there is the destruction of the temple mm-hmm. in Jerusalem. Um, with John, though, most scholars will put the dating of John a couple of decades later. And that actually gives us some, right off the bat, some 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 important things to observe. John's had a couple of decades of reflection and there's some pieces of the Jesus story that he wants to contribute. And he's doing so in a very different way than the synoptic gospels. There's also a significant change, which is the temple's been destroyed in 70 AD. And so John, as a Jewish person, this was a cataclysmic moment for first century Jews. Uh, What do we do now that the place where we worship Yahweh has been destroyed? We've lost our nation. The Romans are in power. They've been in power, but now they've destroyed the temple. Um, What do we do now? Hmm. And the Jews had a, a lot to figure out on what it looked like to, to follow Jesus now or to follow Yahweh now. And the, the book of John, the gospel of John is, uh, also written after the destruction of the temple. And it's going to be interesting that the gospel of John is going to take a lot of the elements that center around the temple, that involve the temple, the calendar festivals of Israel at the temple. And he's going to say, you know, those have all been reworked or redefined around Jesus. And so what John is doing is very intentional. Um, it's it's really brilliant how he's weaving this story together. Uh, and so John just got a different different angle. He's got a different perspective on what he's trying to communicate. And one uh, New Testament scholar says, anytime you have one of these key moments in like a football game or a basketball game where there's a questionable call, like, was that a fumble or was his foot out of bounds or not? Um, You want as many camera angles as possible. You want as many perspectives Mm -hmm. on that as possible. And John gives us a really, like, it's almost, you can almost look at John as this is a completely different angle. Like it's the pile on camera right down the line. And Mm -hmm. so it's going to give us a different perspective than maybe the overhead camera or the sideline camera. And in a lot of that, it's, we, we need John, we need John's voice. Um, so conservative scholarship has it written by John, one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, there's debate on that, but uh, most conservative scholars have it as John, the, the son of Zebedee. He's the brother of James. Mm-hmm. And uh, just for those of you outlining the book, I always tell people whenever you study a book, try to understand when it was written, who it was written to, and get some major themes and an outline. And the outline, most people's outline goes something like this. Uh, uh, it begins with this interesting, we call it the prologue of John, the first 18 verses, which is a, a brilliantly worked, almost philosophical introduction to who Jesus is as the Logos of God. Um, and it's yeah, very- Garland, <laughs> actually, just the other morning, sorry to interrupt No, you, you go for it. I was, I was just reading it in just my- reading time uh, with the Lord, and I almost physically stepped back from the page reading the first four verses. It comes I, out swinging. Yeah. I had this sense of joy and, and fear all at the same time. This is, this is otherworldly. This I mean, why don't you read them? Something yeah, read them right now. Yeah. yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was uh, with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And I'll go to verse 5 here. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. <laughs> so it's like weighty. thunderous. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. And when you combine the, the beginning of this with the epistle in the first four verses of First John, you've got much of who Jesus is and his deity put before us to respond to. And so, yeah, he comes out swinging. Yeah, and then we're going to skip down to verse 14. That word, the one who was with God, who is God, who made the world, he became flesh, he made his dwelling, or he became a tabernacle among us, and we saw his glory. Um, it doesn't get any more just profound and awesome of a start of his gospel. So yeah. John starts us there, and uh, that those first 18 verses are worth, in your study, just whoever's listening to this, that's worth spending a, a good deal of time just simmering on those verses, um, work to maybe memorize those verses. It's, it's amazing. Um, and then what we have is the invitation to meet Jesus in the rest of chapter one. You can see um, that there's two instances of this idea, come and see. So John begins by inviting his reader to come and see. And you can see that down in, in ch uh, chapter one, verse 46, come and see. And that's the invitation to the reader. Now chapters two through four form what most uh, call the Cana cycle. It begins in Cana. Jesus with uh, doing a, uh, a miracle. It's his first recorded miracle here of the water to wine. And then at the end of chapter four, we get this note that he he's returned back to Cana. And uh, John is neatly kind of summarizing this as a unit, the Cana cycle. And we get some really famous things in there, like the Samaritan woman at the well, the interaction with Nicodemus. It's cool. Then we get... Um, John being really clever in chapters five through 11 of taking Jewish festivals. So each of these chapters correspond essentially to a Jewish festival or each of these, these little units. So Passover and we get uh, the Sabbath and we get the Feast of Tabernacles and we get the Feast of Dedication. And in all of those, Jesus will do really, really cool, but surprising and shocking things that the Jewish leadership understands what he's doing. So at Passover, for example, where they eat bread every year, he's going to say, I am the bread of life and things like this that Jesus will do. And then what we often call the book of glory is uh, it transitions in chapter 12 and then chapters 13 through 17 is this uh, famous speech of Jesus. So we call it the upper room discourse. It's his last supper meal. Um, and so that's a unit 13 to 17. And then the, the final several chapters, so 18 through 20 are Jesus's passion and resurrection. And then we have this, uh, what many call an epilogue tacked on at the end in chapter 21, where Peter is restored uh, to ministry. And so there's your outline. I always write the outline in my Bible. Uh, most Bibles have a little white space at the beginning of each book. And I write that outline. So, you know, Roman number one, two, three, that way you can come back and see it later. And uh, this is why I listen to sermon notes, I'm guessing, to get some of this yeah. uh, some of this just uh, deeper stuff that oftentimes we can't get into a 30-minute sermon block. So, you know, write that outline down, orient yourself to the book, try to get a handle of what's going on in the big picture before you then dive into the pieces and see how they connect. Yeah. And is as incredible as the beginning of, of the book is in, in John's gospel account, I love the last verse. And there were also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books 
um, which were written. It's an amazing thing. Mysterious yeah. little line at yeah, the yeah, end. This really, is really it, profound and it, cool. It yeah. really is. And so, hey, let's, uh, let's just note some of the distinctive themes in John that maybe aren't expounded upon as much in some of the other Gospels, just to hit some highlights. And we may not hit some of these in some of our teachings, and so we wanted to, to bring the bear and bring the light some of those. Um, I know in John 3, we have a significant um, kind of overview of what it means to be born again, if you right. will. Mm-hmm. And there's some back and forth there, and it's where we get this idea of regeneration. And so we see some of that going on. So there's a little bit of, uh, there's some soteriological uh, content there. The word belief is used at least 80 times, uh, maybe up to 84 times um, in John's gospel account. And it seems to be not just a one-time event type of belief, but an expectation or an ongoing belief, an ongoing trusting or or relying upon um, would you add anything to how we would define belief from in John's account? Um, yeah, well, I think when we think of the word belief uh, or faith or something like that, it's the Greek word pistis. I think oftentimes it's translated as faith or belief. For us, oftentimes that that can come across as a static noun, something that ha- that I have or I did when I was eight or twelve, or pick a moment. Yeah. And uh, a lot of time in John's gospel, it's the word believing as a verb idea. And so believing, trusting, I like uh, uh, allegiance or believing loyalty to Jesus. Jesus is going to push well beyond what we might just call an intellectual, uh, you know, maybe an intellectual one-time mental assent to something about God. He's going to demand more than that uh, from his audience. And so um, when it says uh, that you might believe that's certainly going to be more than just, you know, have an intellectual thought about Jesus. It's going to be an ongoing, mm-hmm. continuous trust or allegiance to him as Israel's Messiah and the true son of God or the true king. Yeah, and we see many of them, and we'll see this in the, in the first teaching where he speaks of himself as being the bread, and many turn away um, that, that are called disciples because it's too hard of a saying or too, too um, difficult to understand and much too difficult for them to follow him in his way. Um, you know, another thing that I've always appreciated about John is he does some extensive work on um, Jesus's comments on the Holy Spirit and the role of the Spirit in the believer's life, what's to come at Pentecost. Um, it gives us a preview of just the change that's going to happen in Acts when the Spirit comes upon the church. And then in 17, um, wow, did to take a look into the prayer life of Jesus, see his heart for people, his heart for his disciples, his heart for the world. Um, rarely do we get that type of insight into the prayer life of Jesus in the other Gospels. Um, so anyway, one, one of my favorite things about, about John. Yeah, it's probably worth saying, if you want just to get your arms oriented around the, the whole of the Gospel, it comes out swinging, these first 18 verses that we talked about. Chapter 1 finishes with this invitation to come and see. And then in chapter 20, we have one of the disciples saying, uh, my Lord and my God. And then right after that that pronouncement of Jesus from Thomas, John says this, uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's Israel's Messiah, and he's the Son of God. He's the King. And that by believing, 
you may have life in his name. So if you want to get a, a purpose statement or what's this book really getting at, comes out swinging, amazing 18 verses, then come see this. Who is this man? Come see. You have one of the disciples at the very end saying, he is my Lord and my God. And John says, yeah, yeah. And here's why I'm writing this. So that you may believe that he is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing in this one, you'll actually get life. You get joy and life abundantly. And so uh, John, he gives away what he's trying to do, and everything in between that is trying to verify that for his reader. He wants his reader, he's presenting to his reader, let me show you who, we, who Jesus is so that you might have life in this Messiah and in this Son of God. So he's really intentional. It's brilliant. We have to step back and appreciate how John has put this together. And then I just appreciate that he gave his thesis statement. It's not the beginning, how we often do, but it's at the end. But that's what John's doing from kind of a meta perspective in this gospel. And for me, that always just helps me to understand what am I reading when I read something like the gospel of John. Well, it's going to be a great time together as a church. And so appreciate y'all tuning in to Sermon Notes, and we look forward to being back with you next time. Uh, I'm Clark, and for Garland, we'll, uh, we look forward to seeing you next time.